Informing America's Farmers and Ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you so much for joining us as we kick off a new week. We appreciate you letting us be part of your day. Hope you had a good Father's Day, a good weekend. And we're ready to go. Today, we'll get the latest on the weather from DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. We're going to talk about China trade issues and look at the ag economy with Joe Glauber, Senior Research Fellow for the International Food Policy Research Institute, and an update on the Kansas wheat harvest with the CEO of Kansas Wheat, Justin Gilpin. All that coming up on today's program. But we're glad to start things off with Sarah Wyant, Editor and President of AgriPulse Communications. Sarah, hope you had a good weekend. I, I tell you what, yesterday our church, we, we got back together for the first time in a long time. We were in the parking lot, not in the church building itself, but in the church parking lot. But at least we were together again as a church family. That was great. And we got some rain, much needed rain over the weekend. So all in all, it was a pretty good weekend. Hope you had one as a good one as well. We certainly did, Mike, and uh, happy Father's Day belatedly to you and to all the other fathers out there. It was a wonderful weekend here in Missouri, and how nice to hear that your church, like many others, are starting to find ways to worship again. It's just a real blessing as we can try to figure out how to navigate these COVID turbulent times, but coming back to some sense of new normal. Yeah, it just felt like it at least was a another step towards, uh, you know, kind of getting things back that uh, we miss so much. Uh, so uh, that that really helped. Well, we got a lot of things to talk about as we kick off the new week. Let's, let's kind of pick up on the Dicamba news. The uh, Ninth Circuit uh, rejected the request to halt the Dicamba use. So basically the Ninth Circuit uh, upheld what EPAs decided to do to allow the sale use of the existing stocks of Dicamba. They definitely did. And, you know, you mentioned the weekend. We were publishing all weekend because this thing came out late Friday night and our staff was busy trying to figure out exactly what they meant. But basically, uh, it was a short one-sentence order from the Ninth Circuit basically denying those petitioners the emergency motion. And so now... Uh, what we, uh, EPA's June 8th order is the one everybody can follow. Continued use of existing stocks through July 31st. So that gives people more of an orderly transition here to use the stocks that are already, uh, been purchased and that, that are out there in the field and, and really makes it a lot more of a common sense approach rather than what the Ninth Circuit had originally ordered to vacate the registrations of three of those products. So those existing stocks, as EPA said, can be used again up till July 31st. This issue obviously is not over yet, though. Oh, it's not. You know, and there's so many decisions that keep going into the Ninth Circuit that uh, are going to, if not now, continue in the future to confound a lot of the folks in American agriculture. So, yes, this this is still going on. In fact, there's going to be a briefing next week on BASF motion to stay the June 3rd decision. Uh, other petitions were allowed to uh, be considered. BASF and Corteva jumped in, and Bayer has already been an intervener. So, um, yeah, stay tuned, Mike. There's more on this. And as we stay with ag in the courtroom to kick things off this week, a federal judge has declined to block implementation of the new 
uh, waters of the U.S. rule, so it will be allowed to go into effect. Yes, this is a U.S. district judge uh, who said that the new WOTUS rule, as we all call it in agriculture on the Clean Water Act, can take effect today. Uh, so that's denying the request that has come up from so many states, more than a dozen, uh, who wanted to ditch this new proposed rule from the Trump administration. And um, so we're we're moving ahead on that. That's relatively a good news thing for a lot of people in agriculture. But keep in mind, this, again, is a case that will proceed. And um, we've got some cattle producers in Oregon, Washington, and New Mexico who still think this new rule exceeds the authority that the EPA and the Army Corps actually have. So, uh, again, another one of these legal battles that keeps going and keeps giving to everybody uh, to keep an eye on. On the CFAP program, uh, the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program, uh, today's the deadline for those that are trying to, uh, you know, they want to get their comments in, so today's the deadline for those groups that want to be included in the program that weren't part of the original uh, group that uh, was certified. Yes, there's a long list of people who want to be considered, and they need to post at regulations.gov today. They've already gotten more than 1,200 comments, and it's everything from people who produce quail to certainly the wheat producers are saying, why don't we have soft red winter, hard red winter, white wheat? They're all ineligible right now, so they'd like to have all wheat uh, classifications considered. And so there's going to be a lot of folks, uh, aquaculture, nursery products, um, I, there's just a long list of folks that weren't in there and they need to make their case and, and hopefully USDA will find a way to also include them in those payments. And as we kick off a new week, we'll be looking at the, some of the actions uh, that the Senate Ag Committee may take this week. Yes, it's going to be a big week. There's going to be a Senate Ag Committee hearing that will focus on the Glow- Growing Climate Solutions Act. And this is a bipartisan legislation that's been really championed by Senator Debbie Stabenow and Senator Mike Braun, representing Michigan and Indiana, respectively, to find some ways that farmers can benefit and hopefully capture some additional revenue streams from sequestering carbon. So we're going to have a a close eye on that. We'll actually be going to the committee uh, hearing now, hopefully we'll get to bring our intern so he gets to see a little bit about what happens in Washington, D.C. when we do have hearings. He's a South Dakota farm boy who um, is with us this summer. His name's Noah Wicks, and so we're, we're really interested to uh, have folks in person watching a Senate Ag Committee hearing again. That should be an educational uh uh, process for him certainly to see how it works and uh, works or sometimes you think it doesn't work but the, that's the process that they go through meanwhile we couldn't uh, we couldn't get by without talking about china in some form or manner and uh, just as we're starting to see a kind of an uptick in sales and some optimism there a little bit of a hitch with some uh, chicken sales uh, to china yeah, we broke this story Sunday afternoon on our website. Basically, you know, chicken sales were going great guns. In fact, they were having just these record upticks in sales to China, but then all of a sudden the Chinese government reported to some of our sources that they were going to stop uh, accepting shipments, even those that were already uh, in port, uh, because the, some of the workers in the Tyson's plant in Arkansas tested positive for the coronavirus. Well, Mike, as you know, there is no correlation between workers and or the, none of the chicken. The food, the food is totally safe. 
but um, this was viewed as something that just kind of popped up and caught a lot of folks by surprise. And not just in the U.S. They did it with the Norwegians on some salmon. They did it in Germany on pork. And uh, so it's, it's something we've got to keep an eye on, on why they're all of a sudden blocking the sale. All right, Sarah, you and your staff always do a great job covering the stories. Thank you so much. Good to talk with you. Great talking to you, too, Mike. Thanks. Sarah Wyant, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. Up next, we talk weather with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson on AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And let's talk weather with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson back with us this week. And Bryce, some areas of the country that needed rain actually did finally get some uh, over the weekend. Uh, how spotty was it how, or how widespread was it? Well, Mike, uh, most uh, first of all, it's uh, nice to be uh, visiting with you again. And uh, as we get into this uh, official summer beginning, so to speak, uh, since we had the summer uh, astronomical season uh, begin, over the past weekend, uh, we saw quite a bit of rain in the Midwest. Uh, in, in fact, the majority of the region uh, had moderate to heavy rain uh, since last Friday, and um, we're getting more of that rainfall today. It's crossing quite a bit of Iowa into northern Illinois, and I have to put those uh, rainfall amounts at a half to two inches and even locally heavier. So there was uh, a lot of uh, soil that uh, got a pretty hefty dose of, of moisture. Uh, we were getting the crop response expected uh, out of that, and uh, this is uh, excellent timing when you think about things. And we're going to see this uh, batch of rain that's moving across Iowa and Illinois or northern Illinois today continue to work eastward, uh, taking in the remainder of the Midwest over the next several days. Uh, so this is excellent timing for row crops. Yeah, much-needed rain. Was there any uh, storm activity with it, though, any any problems there, any damage from uh, uh, severe weather? Well, let's uh, think about flooding first. Uh, there are some uh, individual uh, counties in Iowa right now that have some flash flood bulletins in effect. Uh, right around the Waterloo, Iowa, Independence, Iowa, uh, there's a flash flood warning. Uh, there's also flash flood watch notices in north-central Iowa, uh, between Mason City and Ames, Iowa, and then around Marshalltown, Iowa, there, there are flash flood watches in effect. So some locally heavy rains of three-plus inches. And then uh, during uh, thunderstorm action yesterday, uh, there were as many as six tornadoes that were sighted and uh, confirmed in Kansas and Along with that, there were some instances of some hail damage in parts of northeastern Texas. So you had some of that going on. But, um, but in terms of uh, crop conditions, the biggest benefit had to have been the rainfall that developed and uh, the, the kind of timing that we've seen with that. This rain that's moving across the Midwest today, uh, is there anything behind it or does it sit for a while? It's going to get a little bit drier after this. Uh, we're, we're still going to see some uh, light showers kind of pop up, though, here and there. Uh, looking at the charts this morning, uh, it's impressive to me to see the 
occurrence of low pressure troughing uh, kind of uh, kind of separated from any uh, frontal boundary uh, that's located in parts of the northern plains, uh, the south central plains, and in uh, parts of the northern Rockies as well. And so when you have those uh, little troughs uh, kind of moving across, there's just a little bit of uh, energy there to fire up some uh, scattered showers uh, on an occasional basis, maybe not any real widespread rain, but, you know, just some uh, localized uh, showers here and there. And that, that continues to offer additional soil moisture. And I think especially over the northern plains, uh, those showers are going to be very beneficial because we saw some uh, rainfall during the past weekend, but we know that especially in western North Dakota, eastern Montana, in the parts of the far southern Canadian prairies, we still need to see some rainfall. And so this is going to help out along with maybe keeping the, uh, the real strong uh, heat waves from forming and adding to crop stress from that part of things. We're talking with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Well, let's talk temperatures. What's ahead this week? This week, uh, the temperatures are going to be basically on a seasonal track. Uh, there's uh, some real hot weather down uh, in southwestern Texas, uh, south of Lubbock, around Midland, Odessa, and then west into uh, El Paso and then southern New Mexico, and then south into the lower Rio Grande Valley. But um, you get uh, from Lubbock north, and uh, temperatures are pretty much on a seasonal basis, and that's going to be the story this week as well. It uh, is just going to be very challenging for any real sustained heat wave to form. And uh, along with that, if any hot weather develops, we know that a lot of areas have a pretty generous uh, soil moisture supply at this point. So there you have the low-level moisture support to help fire up an occasional thunderstorm to just kind of take the edge off the building heat. And uh, that's obviously a favorable uh, type of situation. Well, we're getting close enough to take a peek into July. What do you see in that long-range forecast? It is going to be warm in July. Um, I don't think it's going to be excessively hot over the major crop areas. Now, from the Rockies west, it's going to be a different story because it uh, is looking pretty hot and dry over the western third of the country uh, during the month of July. But here in the uh, central U.S., uh, we will have uh, you know this um, this contribution of uh, the soil moisture and uh, crop conditions to uh, to kind of keep a lid on any real heat that builds up along with periods of showers. Uh, so I, I think that July is going to be maybe a little bit drier, but uh, not excessively. And uh, the likelihood for temperatures is that we'll have just enough of a, you know, an, an occurrence of uh, showers at kind of the right time to sort of keep a lid on, on any real sustained uh, extreme heat to form and, and cause... Uh, a sudden round of crop stress that uh, is not uh, indicated for the month of July, at least at this point. Well, that's good to hear because there were growing concerns at the, about drought starting to creep uh, into more and more of the country, and that might that might become a big problem this summer. But uh, you're still not thinking that's the case. I don't think we're going to see that, Mike. And you know, another feature that comes into play is simply the fact that um, that we have got uh, such a large area of the central U.S. Uh, with, uh, with extensive and intensive vegetation uh, that 
that basically uh, acts kind of like a Midwest version of the Amazon rainforest. And I know that sounds a little far-fetched, but it's not. Uh, the, the, uh, the contribution of moisture from the green canopy into the atmosphere over the Midwest helps to kind of make its own weather in terms of uh, scattered uh, shower activity. And uh, that's a, a real big feature. It's been studied and cataloged, and it, uh, is, an, it, it is an identified feature uh, that we see over the north central U.S. And uh, it's, it comes into play when you think about how the summertime is going to actually evolve. All right. Let's uh, take an international view of the weather. Any problem areas? There's a, there's some dryness in parts of uh, of the Black Sea region in uh, Ukraine and Russia, but uh, the recent uh, weather pattern has been favorable enough that I think any uh, drawdown in their wheat crop has uh, kind of leveled out. And even uh, the uh, drier areas of uh, that former New Lands region that we talked about years ago in uh, central Siberia uh, have uh, started to uh, get some rain. That includes Kazakhstan. So spring wheat areas, I think, are, are doing uh, better and uh, actually are looking quite promising. And then in Australia, uh, this uh, rainfall pattern has been uh, continuing to show improvement uh, for the Australian wheat belt. And uh, so that's obviously a favorable feature. In uh, South America, Brazil should have a uh, fairly uh, dry harvest a week ahead, and they are about uh, 8% done with the Safrina corn harvest. Monte Grosso is around 16% finished. The uh, trouble area in South America would be in southern Argentina because it's been dry enough to uh, where the wheat acreage might be cut just a little bit, might be reduced, because it actually has been a little bit too dry uh, to support the uh, wheat crop in southern Argentina. And uh, at this point, that's maybe uh, the uh, major concern area for South America in total uh, right now. Real quick, we're going to get an update pretty soon on the uh, Kansas wheat harvest. What's it look like there this week? Uh, there, there's going to be some delay early this week because of uh, rainfall in south-central Kansas. But as we go through the week, I think we're going to see a drier trend and uh, a, uh, a more favorable situation when we think about mid to late week for the wheat harvest in Kansas. I've, I've been impressed with what I've seen so far with both yield and quality out of the Southern Plains. Yep, we'll get a report on that a little bit later. Good to talk with you again, Bryce. Thanks for joining us. Okay, Mike, appreciate it. Take care. DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Yeah, a little later we'll talk with Justin Gilpin, CEO of Kansas Wheat, get, a, get an update on that Kansas wheat harvest. But up next, we're gonna talk about some trade issues with China with Joe Glauber former USDA chief economist. That's coming up next here on AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And glad to be joined now by Joe Glauber, Senior Research Fellow of the International Food Policy Research Institute, former USDA Chief Economist. Joe, good to talk with you again. Let's talk China. Um, 
much has been made about the kind of the slow pace of China's purchases of our ag products uh, when looking at the goal of what 36 a little over 36 billion in the phase one trade deal and all the speculation of how close to that number they will come what are your thoughts uh, on where we're where they're at in those purchases and the talk now that those purchases will be accelerating yeah, I think if uh, Mike, if you were to look at the first four months, um, clearly it's it's pretty anemic. We're at four billion or so. Um, if you're looking at the U.S. numbers um, of of export of agricultural products, and that's about on pace with last year, which of course was a very uh, uh, was the smallest year we had for probably ten years or so. Uh, but I think there's some real uh, you know, blue skies ahead. I, I, China clearly has been purchasing um, forward for soybeans and and other commodities. There's certainly you're getting signs that they're going to make some commitments uh, that way. Uh, and if you look at, at the pace of where we are on new crop sales um, or, or new crop exports, uh, we're looking at pretty pretty close to where we were in 2017 or we're not too far off that pace so i think that 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 2017 levels which were close to uh 20 billion um in exports to china i think those are certainly within shot and we we could see some more you know i think the bigger issue for some is whether or not you hit the 36 and a half billion or whatever and again as i think we've talked about before on your show the lot depends on who's Who's calculating that number, whether or not it's an import number from China or export number from the U.S.? But I, I think that, that you've you got to look at what we've hi- historically exported to China. And I think the most we've done in the last eight months of the year is about $17 billion. That would put it in the, er, the low 20s. And, uh, you know, I think China sounds like they're going to do try to do more than that. So I think that's great for U.S. agriculture. Uh, I think we probably should be focused less on the 36 5 um, but as I've said many times, I think if we could get back to 2017 levels, that's a great start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think uh, we put so much focus on that 36.5 billion figure that um, it, you know, it, we're looking at everything through that lens. Like you said, if we just look at where we have been in the past with them, and you have to figure in up till now, they would have been. They traditionally have bought from South America up till this point. Plus, yeah. then you throw in COVID nineteen. So I, I think the slow start is not to be uh, is not unexpected. All things considered, it's just that because of that thirty six point five billion figure that's out there, it makes it seem even slower. Yeah, no, I I agree wholeheartedly with that, and I think that the again, you're right. They normally buy from Brazil at this time. They've made some enormous purchases from brazil i might add so that that complicates things you know when they're comparing it to previous export levels particularly when you get back in the 2012 2013 14 years some of those years were very large remember we had much much higher prices too so that that really boosts those values and we're we're talking about much lower priced soybeans these days but but again i think you know uh, at the end of the day what what i hope is that we see a lot of soybeans moving out of here to china and you know a lot of other ag products as well i think you know some of those some of the the provisions in that phase 1 agreement that we don't really talk about in terms of of um, uh, regulatory issues and things like that, but which will presumably help 
uh, meat exports and other things. I think those things, those are the ones I'm really looking at longer term to see how well we're doing and if that's really going to develop into, you know, can help really develop those markets as well. We're talking with Joe Glauber, Senior Research Fellow for the International Food Policy Research Institute. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, poultry because there's been a, a bit of a hitch here, uh, a glitch in, in what seemingly was increasing sales. Uh, they've they've rejected some uh, poultry uh, products from the U.S. Yeah, and I think that's, uh, again, this is one of those parts of those those provisions that I think we really to see how well, uh, to see if this can be successfully resolved, I think to me is a real bellwether of this, of, of at least some of the aspects of this phase one agreement. Um, yeah, I, it, 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 it certainly is a concern. And, um, you know, we were, we've been hoping that we could see a lot of meat imports not are from China, not just, uh, poultry, but certainly, uh, pork as well. And, 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 and some beef. So, um, hopefully they can get some of this resolved or whatever the issue is. Um, but, you know, clearly, if you look at those provisions in the phase one agreement, that's exactly what, what those provisions were supposed to address, is how to resolve these sorts of uh, uh, SPS type sanitary and phytosanitary issues. Yeah, China, according to some sources, says it's taking action to uh, ban chicken from a Tyson Foods plant in Arkansas, because some Tyson employees tested positive for coronavirus. So, COVID, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we'll see, like you say, how does this get resolved and how, how do we move through this? Uh, Joe, we, that $36.5 billion figure, how, what is a more realistic figure in your mind that if, if China would hit in purchases for this year, it would be considered a success? Is it just, is there a, a do you have a figure in mind that we, they need you know, to get to? I would think, I would think mid twenties uh, would really show a good faith effort. Again, Mike, my, my, my concern is not that the, you know, look, you know, China has a lot of state run corporations, other things. If they want to purchase 36 and a half billion, they can purchase it and store it and all that. That's just, and that would be great for a one-shot deal, I just don't think that's sustainable. What I'd like to see is kind of the buildup of, of trade like what we were seeing um, prior to this trade war starting. That is, you know, with, with commercials going in there, buying more soybeans, buying more things, and uh, a very successful WTO case that says, hey, you got to start buying, um, you know, corn and wheat and, and rice and, and other things. And so, to me, that would be a, a, a success to see a well-rounded export uh, um, portfolio going out to them. But somewhere in the, in the range of the mid-20s would be a really good start for this year. And we'll see what happens after that. But I think setting these really, I don't know, you know, to, to go back to the original statements when the president said, well, I just said, why, why not even more than that? Well, it's, that's great. And I think that, that you can get that. But only through government purchases and that's just not to me that's just not sustainable over the long run uh we know that from long-term grain agreements that we had with the former soviet union that the they were never long-term they were always uh uh you know one-year deals and then what do you know the next year they 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 had a renege on on a purchase or whatever so again something that's based on on um 
you know, people wanting that. I think we, we, we sell competitively. We, there's a lot of great things about U.S. exports where we're very competitive in these markets. And I just like to get us back to where we were in, in building. Again, it's a reminder that even a signed trade deal is still a work in progress, right? It's always oh, a yeah. work in progress. Yeah, absolutely. So absolutely. any other thoughts, no, any other thoughts, Joe, overall? I mean, we're about to implement USMCA. There have been a few uh, concerns raised there before it even gets started. Uh, overall, your thoughts on, on trade so critical to getting our ag economy going again. Well, I, I tell you the one thing I'm I, I'm impressed with is despite COVID, uh, our trade numbers look pretty good. Um, you know, I, I go back to the recession in 2009, and um, if you look globally, world trade was off considerably, both in terms of value because prices had dropped for a, for a lot of commodities, and but also in terms of volumes. If you look at the ag side of that, yeah, p- prices were down, our values were down about 10. 12%, but the volumes were only off about 2%, uh, in fact, less than 2%. And I think that, you know, a lot of people have, were expecting a really big drop in, in exports. And I think the jury's still out on that. I'm, I'm guardedly optimistic that we're going to come through this, at least in terms of volumes, pretty well. Now, we've still got low prices. We still have problems in the meat uh, sector, um, other, a lot of other things that, that are tugging at the uh, economy. But the export picture, I think, looks a lot better than I think many people would have thought. Yeah, still plenty of challenges, uh, just still working through COVID-19. Yeah, absolutely. And who knows? <laughs> yeah, we're absolutely still working through COVID-19, and, and no one knows what the next uh, chapter is going to be in that. So uh, let's hope for the best. All right. Well, Joe, thanks a lot, and we'll we'll keep a close watch on this uh, situation with China. But again, I think, as you said, we have to keep it in perspective and have maybe a realistic approach uh, or a, a view on it as we see what their sales are, our sales to China are, and hopefully those purchases will continue to grow. But uh, we'll see how close they get to thirty-six point five billion. Good to talk with you, Joe. Take care. Thanks, Mike. You too. Bye. All right, Joe Glober former USDA chief economist, now senior research fellow, the International Food Policy Research Institute. Well, the Kansas wheat harvest is uh, underway. We talked earlier with Bryce Anderson about uh, some of the weather uh, for that for the harvest uh, coming up this week might be some interruptions from rain but overall some pretty good numbers are coming out of uh, Kansas we'll get an update on those numbers just where are they as far as how much is done and what kind of yields are they seeing we'll talk with Justin Gilpin CEO for Kansas Wheat that's coming up next stay with us you're listening to AOA Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. When last we talked with Justin Gilpin, CEO of Kansas Wheat, the Kansas Wheat Harvest was really just getting started. We check back in now to see how much is done. Justin, thanks for being with us. How far along are you and how is it going? Hey, good to be with you, Mike. You know, last week we did see uh, things kind of open up and 
harvest uh, really started rolling in the south, south south central part of the state and then into the southwest corner. Um, you know, it had really good open days, good good high temperatures, and so uh, allowed combines to get in the field. Um, we ended up probably about 25% of the state cut right now, but we ended the week with with rain showers and more showers over the weekend. So we we paused harvest now for kind of a welcome break for some moisture that we were needing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talked earlier with uh, meteorologist Bryce Anderson with DTN, and he said uh, you might get some of those interruptions. But uh, so you're not complaining too much about that, though. Well, you know, it's it's a catch twenty two. We have been so dry. You know, the, the, this month of June has just started out really uh, hot and dry. Probably some of the hottest weather we've had since maybe the summer of two thousand eleven. Uh, especially in that southwest corner of the state where it's a kind of expanded drought. So uh, it's it for the row crops, it was certainly uh, certainly needing a relief uh, from that dryness. Uh, that central part of the state, though, I, I do know that there's some farmers that are pretty anxious because there's wheat that's ready to be cut, that now they're going to be out of the fields for, for a couple days. And unfortunately, with some of those storms that we had, especially last night, uh, those the line of storms from just pretty much covered the central part of the state uh, uh, and just sat there. And they, they did bring some hail, so I think we did lose lose a little bit of wheat. Uh, but uh, I think the general consensus is most people were saying we were needing the rain. Uh, so uh, hopefully we get some open weather this week. We can get back in the field. Yeah, as we often uh, say, rain good, storms bad, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. That, All right. That's for sure. You know. Oh, go ahead, Mike. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to give you just a quick report on how yields were looking. You know, South Central Kansas yields have been looking really good, a lot better than maybe uh, people were expecting. So uh, being 25% done with the state, uh, you know, we're we're seeing 50 to 55 bushel type yields in South Central Kansas, Southwest Kansas. That harvest is actually going to go really fast just because there's just not a lot of wheat out there. Unfortunately, we're seeing more. 20 to 30 bushel type yields out there, Mike. Well, that's exactly what I was going to ask you, what uh, what yield numbers you were hearing. Uh, what about the, the quality? What about the condition of the wheat? Well, you know, through the southern plains from Texas, Oklahoma, then up into south-central Kansas, yields have been a little bit better than we expected. The test weights have just been exceptional. I think that's probably the real story that people are talking about with the quality of this crop. Is so far, the test weights are 62 to 63 pounds. On average, with some coming up above that, I just, you know, we'll probably see that start to drop off now that we had the had the rain and as we get into some of those drought areas. But uh, with those higher yields and higher test weights, uh, te- uh, the protein, though, uh, for a lot of your listeners, probably weren't paying attention to because the protein is actually maybe a tenth or two off of from where we were last year. A lot of people, a lot of flower millers are saying the quality is similar to last year, but it, it's certainly a below average so far with the hardwood winter wheat crop as far as uh, protein. Yeah, a lot to look at beyond just the yield numbers themselves. Uh, Are you seeing any impact, you think, from that cold snap? I think that's probably one of the reasons why, you know, the harvest really progressed rapidly. You know, Oklahoma's already close to 95% complete. But when we got into south-central Kansas, uh, combines, they weren't able just to go field to field to field because uh, not – the crop didn't dry down uniformly. It was kind of having to scout to find out which field was ready. And that's a result from 
when we had that freeze, we saw a lot of those primary tillers that were taken out in April. And so what's happened is with the moisture that we had in May, a lot of those secondary tillers came on. And uh, that's causing some unevenness uh, from drying down in the field where uh, you've still got some green stalks out there, even though uh, you were hoping that the field would be ready. But well, the secondary tillers that did come on, you know, it looks like the, that we, we uh, bounced back and recovered from that freeze event, and we're not seeing real negative impacts from, from that freeze event, Mike. Any other unexpected uh, occurrences out there once you got going in the fields? You know, just uh, I think the overall feeling so far is the crop's probably gotten a little bit bigger from what people thought it was in May, just with those yields coming on and test weights being as good as they were. Uh, I think so from uh, up uh, up until this last weekend, I think most people were pretty pleased with how harvest was going. Uh, not real pleased with where price is right now, but uh, uh, as far as bushels coming in, I think a little bit better than expected. Now we're going to see uh, if uh, the rain delays, uh, see if we have a, a pattern change that that may uh, kind of stall things out compared to how fast we've been rolling uh, for, for weed harvest. But that that's probably the next thing we'll kind of keep an eye on to hopefully uh, make sure that the soundness of this crop doesn't get affected by the rains. Yeah, working around the showers, it sounds like that's going to be the challenge here for the, at least the, the next uh, few days. Any other problems out there that you've uh, heard about uh, as you've checked in with well, folks the, around the state? Well, you know, just that southwest Kansas, the yields being down because of drought. Uh, combines did start cutting in southeast Colorado, so the Colorado wheat harvest is just getting started, and then, and they're seeing that you know they've been in pretty pretty severe drought areas also, so certainly seeing yields a little bit lower in Colorado. Uh, the high temperatures and heat that we had are uh, kind of affecting how the finishing of that north central Kansas and Nebraska wheat's looking. So I think there's a lot of anxiousness to see what that wheat's going to look like and of course uh with those storms we had this weekend uh you know we're still trickling in reports this morning of fields that we're going to get zeroed out because of the three inch hail that came with some of those storms and so still trying to weigh all that out mike but uh, uh looking like uh looking like harvest ships start picking up again this week and and hopefully uh hopefully everybody can have a safe and bountiful uh harvest winter wheat harvest this year Yep, we hope so. We'll check in with you next week, get another report, okay? Sounds great. Thanks for everything you do reporting on agriculture, Mike. You bet. Thanks, Justin. Justin Gilpin, CEO of Kansas Wheat. That wraps it up for today. Thanks for being with us. Stay safe. Join us again tomorrow right here on AOA. AOA.